The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart, and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you all from God our Creator and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Icons are of great interest to me. You may have noticed that we enjoy three icons in our sanctuary of the life of St. Philip the Deacon, which I commend to you. Today, I'm thinking of an icon with a very special theme brought to mind by our first reading. This icon is of the time between Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, when his poor body had been laid in the tomb. But instead of the tomb, imagine our Lord strong, wearing white and gold robes, symbols of divine majesty. Can you see him in your mind? Under his feet are the gates of Hades, sometimes called the doors of death, torn off their hinges, broken, and they have fallen to the ground in the shape of a cross, because by his death, Jesus trampled down death. And what is he doing there in the realm of the dead? He is taking those who have died and is raising them up from death. They are not scrambling up by themselves. They cannot. They are not even holding on to Jesus. No, Jesus is grasping them by the wrist and pulling them up from death to life. They cannot pull themselves out of sin and death. Only Jesus can do that. In this icon, we see Jesus surrounded by Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah and David. All who have died are represented. And toward the bottom of this icon, we see the darkness of Hades with pieces of broken locks and broken chains strewn about, demolished by Jesus. And we see Satan completely bound and defeated. Since about the year 1000, this scene has been called the harrowing of hell. Harrow can mean to distress or disturb, as our Lord distressed Satan. And also, a harrow is a farm implement used to break up hard soil, as our Lord broke through the doors and chains and powers of death. Icons on this subject in all their fascinating variety, I believe, are worth our perusal. I encourage you to look them up at home for your prayerful meditation, if you wish, 
or stop by the narthex or the atrium where I have uh, two of them copied for you. With this image in mind, let's turn to the scripture. In 1 Peter today, we hear first, Christ suffered for sins once for all, the righteous Christ for the unrighteous, that's us, in order to bring you to God. Jesus suffered to bring us close to God, to open the way for us to be near God's presence. Jesus gives us access to God. This is the beautiful work of Christ. And then Peter says something remarkable. He says something more about the scope of who Jesus brings to God. Peter says that after Jesus died, he proclaimed to what he calls the spirits in prison, the spirits in prison. And then again in the following chapter, he clarifies that Jesus preached the good news to those who are dead. These words are wonderful and they are certainly mysterious and theologians debate and wrestle about them. But they seem to say that between the time of Jesus' death and resurrection, he preached the gospel in the abode of the dead to those who in their lifetime had never had the opportunity to hear the good news. And isn't this a tremendous thought? The work of Christ is infinite in its scope and range. No one who ever lived is outside the grace of God. Is this not wondrous love? And then after his resurrection, Peter said, Jesus went to heaven and is at the right hand of God. So do you hear it? Nothing in earth and heaven is outside the reach of Christ. To all, he brought access to God. In his death, he brought the good news to the dead. In his resurrection, he conquered death, and he sits at the throne of God. Here we are in the season of Lent, with our gospel reading about our Lord's baptism and temptation in the wilderness, and yet our first reading jumps us ahead to Holy Saturday. Although Jesus had been crucified and laid in the tomb, as we have seen, Peter tells us our Lord did not rest he preached the good news to the souls in the realm of the dead. And this reading finds a home in the Apostles' Creed. When we recite the Creed, we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And then we say, He descended into hell, or as we now say it, he descended to the dead. Maybe it's easy for us to say that without giving it very much thought. So what is this place of the dead? The Jewish conception at that time was of a, a gray world of shadows and forgetfulness in which people were separated from life and light and God. It is referred to in various ways, for instance, as Hades or Sheol or the pit or the land of forgetfulness. Psalm 6, for instance, says, In death there is not remembrance of you, O God. In Sheol, who can give you praise? Eventually, some ideas of stages or divisions in the realm of the dead emerged. 
Some would be there forever, others only until the final judgment. And one scholar wrote that when the Apostles' Creed states that Jesus descended to hell or to the dead, it affirms that our Lord went to a place that would contain this shadow existence and both blessedness and torment. However we understand it, our Lord chose to go there, and therefore there is no corner of the universe where his message of grace has not come. Many theologians in the early centuries of the church wrote with great eloquence on Christ's descent to the dead, including Justin Martyr in the second century, who wrote, the Lord, the holy God of Israel, remembered his dead, those sleeping in the earth, and came down to them to tell them the good news of salvation. So when we recite the creed and say our Lord descended to the dead, we are holding the precious truth that no one who ever lived is without a sight of Christ and without the offer of salvation of God. A couple of years ago, I took part in a seminar led by Father Ronald Rollheiser about the grief that accompanies suicide loss, which affects so many of us, and about the way people can get to a place where they feel they are living in a hell on earth. I was moved by many things he said about the unrelenting love of our Christ, about the risen Christ getting through our locked doors, and then he spoke about this mysterious line from the creed. Using the older words, he said, he descended into hell is the most consoling doctrine in all of religion, not just Christianity. When we can't help ourselves anymore, God can help us. When we can't understand ourselves anymore, God can still understand us. When we lock ourselves into something no one can penetrate, God can still come in. So the faithful always have hope, he said, in this life and the next. The mercy and compassion and love of God go where humans cannot. He descended to the dead. And if our Lord went all the way to the place of the dead to draw people to him, there is certainly no place you or I can go where he will not find us. There is no guilt we can experience, no hopeless place where we find ourselves, no regrets, no words spoken in haste, no things we cannot undo that are beyond the reach of our Lord's love. He has harrowed that hell. The locks and chains that bind us lie in rubble. What wondrous love, what amazing grace. Thanks be to God, in the name of Jesus, amen.